You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. No Kayla can hear him today. It'll just be me, Cody Tapp, our producer, Nick Schwart, getting you ready for what will end up being, what, a few days away from Super Wild Card Weekend, Nick. Do you still like that name, by the way? It feels kind of cheesy to call it Super Wild Card Weekend. I felt like we could have just stuck with the wild card part of it, and that would have been fine. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I didn't know that was a thing, even after you said it. When you said it, I thought you were just calling it Super Wild Card. <laughs> no. You threw a Super in there? They went through a rebranding last year. When they added that extra playoff team, and then it's like the Saturday, the Sunday, and the Monday games, that trio of games on the Sunday, that's when they tried to be worse. Super Wild Card Weekend. Not just regular Wild Card, Super Wild Card. Yeah, I, I had no idea that was a thing. My okay, so it's, so it's not catching on. I so thought it was just Wild Card Weekend. What's the difference? <laughs> what makes this one more super? There's an extra one team. more team. No, yeah, that's, that's doing for me. I'm gonna need a little bit more if you want to start throwing around the term super. What about that? Uh, what about that? Like red panda? Like she like spin plates? Would that do? Would that would that add a super level to you? Uh, I, I don't, I'm confused. Is she at the games? Is she? <laughs> She's, like, she just goes to all the games and she spins the plates. You know, she just adds yeah, an extra. I mean, you know, gravitas. Logistically, I would have some follow-up questions on on how that's all going to work out. But to your point, I mean, there's nothing more spectacular than watching Red Panda flip bowls onto her head. So uh, I'm I'm game. I don't know if it would work out, but that that would actually yes, that would increase my my willingness to call it Super Wild Card Weekend. Part of the reason we get to sit here on a Wednesday and not talk about an upcoming Wild Card game is because of where the Chiefs are. We know they've got the bye; they're the number one seed. And depending on if they play Buffalo or not, they've got home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And we know the credit that Andy is going to get in this. Patrick Mahomes is in an MVP year. We understand this part. But then I start thinking about, like, if we just had to. Out of 100%, if we had to divvy this thing up, how much credit does Brett Veach deserve for this? Because he's coming off his most impressive draft. He found a six-sack rookie edge rusher late in the first round. Just, you know, not an easy task. Not an easy thing to do. He found a starting NFL corner. He found two other contributing corners and Jalen Watson. His starting running back came from this draft. Like, I mean, I don't know what else to look at other than he's pulling three starters and four contributors out of a single draft for the team with the number one seed. Like, if I'm giving it up, Nick, it's not as easy as 33, 33, 33, because Patrick Mahomes means too much and would mean too much to any organization. I give him probably 60% of the credit. But of the remaining, or 50% of the credit, but of the remaining 50%, I'm not so sure that it's not 35% Andy or 30% Andy, 20% Veach, because he absolutely deserves his due. He traded Tyreek in the offseason. He brought in Juju. He had an excellent draft class. This team is not here without Brett Veach. It made a great in-season trade for Kadarius Toney. 
You know, you look at this draft class of the, was it 10 guys that they drafted? Nine of them played at least 11 games. And Trent McDuffie played exactly 11. So did Nazee Johnson, who was the 259th player drafted. I think that's the first time we've referenced his name on this podcast. Yeah. But he's played in 11 games at safety for the Chiefs. He was a late seventh round pick. If Trent McDuffie didn't get injured in week one, you would have talked about him playing 16, 17 games. Because all those other guys, George Karloftis, Sky Moore, Brian Cook, Leo Chanel, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, they all played at least 16 games, Cody. The Chiefs were fifth in the NFL in rookie snaps this year, yet they still finished the season 14-3. and three. As your point, normally that rookie snap thing, God, that's usually for bad teams, man. That's like, I don't, if you have the list in front of you, I'll bet the other four teams didn't make the playoffs. No, I'll bet I, they were all the Texans and whatever of the world. Yeah, I would assume it's the teams that are in rebuild mode. Like, hey, we're trading our best assets for draft picks. We're going to load up on 10, 11 rookies, figure out what we've got, and just kind of go from there, right? That's not exactly what the Chiefs were doing. The Chiefs went into the season expecting to compete for a Super Bowl yet again. And despite the fact that they look a lot different, they got a lot younger on defense. You have maybe more depth without the top-end talent on offense. The results are exactly the same. You could argue that the defense is actually more productive than they were a season ago. I know the flashy numbers, right? The sack numbers were better. So you could get into points per game and, and have that conversation. But all in all, this draft class, you give an A-plus for. You, for all of the acquisitions, for the roster construction, you give it. You give the Chiefs an A+. I guess my, my question to answer your question would be, how much is Brett Veach pulling the trigger on these and how much is Andy Reid pulling the trigger? Because we know you're not drafting anybody or trading for anyone unless Andy gives you the okay. So I know that Andy has voice in that room, which is why when I was divvying up the other 50%, I said 30 to Andy and 20 to Brett Veach. I know only giving Brett Feech 20% of where the Chiefs are right now feels like a diss. But there is no other general manager I'd give that percentage to when they have a franchise quarterback. Mahomes just, he holds too much weight. He just does. Andy was winning divisions when it was Alex Smith and John Dorsey, right? It's, it's not an offense to that. All I know is that for this particular year, if Brett Veach didn't have the draft he did, they're not the number one seed. They're playing this weekend. If he had a B draft, Nick, as you would point out, if he has like a B draft and McDuffie or Karloff just aren't working out or Cook can't be on the field or Jalen Watson can't play 11 games for you, they lose one more game and they're the two or the three. And they're having to go through Buffalo or go to Buffalo and Cincinnati or play both of those damn teams or any of it. Like, I, I get your point that Andy has a voice, but I think it's pretty clear that when Andy decided to like semi-step away from the general manager role, that his role in this for me is advisory. If there's something he's adamantly against, he's still the lead dog. If he's like, I'm not doing that and we don't want it. Or if he's like, I want this, I still think there's something there. But in the end, I still think he leaves a lot of it to Brett Veach to make the calls up to that point, if it makes sense. So I think ultimately we'll judge this draft class in three years. And when we find out who's getting a second contract, who are you, who are fans clamoring for the Chiefs to give a second contract to? Because if... If, if George Karloftis, and I don't think this will be the case, but hypothetically, if he's just a six-sack guy every year, I don't think we're going to be jumping up and down saying, wow, can you believe they got this guy late in the first round? Yeah. But if he is a guy who all of a sudden becomes a double-digit sack guy 
and you want to give a massive contract to when his rookie deal is up, that's how you'll judge if it's a success or not. A lot of this is like, because again, George Karloftis, it's a, it's a home run pick if at the end of the first round you get essentially Carlos Dunlap. The reason why I bring up him is they're both tall and long. They led and they were first and second in the NFL and batted passes this year. So like maybe the profile is the same. But Carlos Dunlap's going to play 15 years in the NFL, averaging eight sacks a season. Maybe that means Carlos doesn't spend his entire career with you, but he gets a second contract with you and he plays a long ass NFL career. And at, at pick 30, I get it. The can will be TJ Watts, right? Like at that stage of the draft. But I mean, this is this is the best draft anybody had all year based on current results. You're right. In three years, we'll have a better idea on how to judge it. But I'm pretty sure that there's going to be at least two second contract guys in this conversation. And more importantly, this offseason, guess what? Now you don't have to sign Sneed if you don't want to. You can, and I'm not against it. But if you didn't want to sign Sneed, and I told you you had three corners who played the entire year for you, played 10, 11, 12, 16 games for you, Nick, makes it a lot easier to move on from a corner rather than pay him top-in cornerback money. Or, you know, Frank Clark, who's going to be gone finally after this year. At least you got Karloftis, right? You've got some pieces where those decisions that you couldn't make last year on guys, they get a little easier. So of all of the moves made, whether you want to go off the draft picks or if you want to go uh, free agent acquisitions, in-season moves, which one do you think we'll look back on as having the biggest impact on the team. The biggest reason, either in the short term, long term, the reason why they're 14 and three and, and still a Super Bowl contender, it's, or it, you want to talk big picture. I guess they're com- it's a combination, but it's trading Tyreek. It's trading Tyreek and getting an edge rusher. I mean, that they were number four in the NFL in sacks this year, and that's because they had a rookie edge rusher you could count on. I know a lot of that's Chris Jones, but I mean, to me, it's that move. And even the notion now that we thought that there was going to be a step back on the offense. Cause I I'll always argue they can be like, Oh, this is easy for the chiefs. He asked for $30 million, man. That is not an easy conversation. You know, about if you're Brett Veach, you got to think you're going to trade Tyreek. Then you got to approve it with Andy. You got to bring it by your quarterback. You got to talk to the owner. There's not a single person you cannot be having a conversation with before you say, Hey guys, just real quick. If I let go of a guy who's going to have 1800 receiving yards this year, is that a problem with you? You guys cool with that. Like, that's going to be, especially long-term, that might be the reason why this window is so wide open now. Letting go of Tyreek and saving that money, that that might move you for years. So I think my answer, and this is something that I can't really, I can't really back it up right now, sure. but it's something that I, I, I look more towards the long-term. I think a few years from now, we could be saying that Kadarius-Tony trade was the biggest one. Because we don't know what's going to happen this offseason. We don't know, A, what's going to happen with Juju Smith-Schuster. You don't know what Sky Moore is going to become. Because that's the one move we haven't really discussed. The one thing you kind of look at and say, are we sure about Sky Moore in Kansas? We don't know. It's inconclusive, and I don't think we're going to find out. Even in the postseason, if he makes a big play, gets a big score, it's not going to be enough to say, okay, this is the real deal. He's here to stay. So there's still question marks with the offense. If Kadarius Toney can be a number one or a number two in this offense in a year or two years from now. And then we'll look back on the fact that you gave up a conditional third round pick and a sixth round pick to get a guy who's going to be one of your top weapons. I think we'll look back on that as one of the best trades that Brett Beach ever made as GM. I'll say this, considering how this relates to Tyreek, considering how expensive wide receivers have become, 
if Tony turns into an 800-yard receiver, if he turns into MVS, right, a 700, 800-yard receiver, they have him under contract if they want to pick up the fifth-year option for the next three years for a total of $16 million. Can you get a cheaper receiver than that on the open market? I don't I don't think so. So it's like, like that's it. It's cheap. It's cheap and controllable, which is big, big for the Chiefs, at least in that situation. I was saying the other part about thing. this. I want to say one more thing here. Um I it's a running back, and his numbers weren't crazy good. So he kind of glossed past it, especially with the way Jarek McKinnon's played, and he's kind of stole all the thunder. Getting a starting running back in the seventh round, it happens. It's not like the craziest thing has ever no. happened, right? We see it all the time. That's a position you can get value on. But a lot of teams don't do it. Like the Chiefs just drafted a running back in the first round two years ago. Teams draft guys in the first round, second round, third round that don't end up working out. They pay big money contracts to guys whose best football is behind them. We see it all the time, Cody. Teams making bad decisions with the running game. Bringing back Jarek McKinnon, and yeah. drafting Isaiah Pacheco is going to get glossed over, but it is, it is quietly one of the best moves the Chiefs made because since week 12, the last time that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire played was week 11, and he only had like two snaps against the Chargers. Since then, the Chiefs are second in the NFL in rushing success rate, second behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. This has been one of the most efficient rushing teams in the league since they basically created this two-headed monster between Pacheco and McKinnon. And I don't think that should be overlooked simply because you think of the Chiefs and you think of a vertical offense. Well, that's part of it. We understand that going into this postseason, that part of what's going to go with on Kansas City is this is going to be the toughest quarterback field they've ever seen in the postseason. It's a who's who of who has taken in the top 15 of the NFL draft over the last five years. Like, that's legitimately all it is. It's Patrick Holmes is the oldest quarterback at 27 and every other quarterback were just the guys who were first round picks in the years that follow Patrick Mahomes draft order. But the part of it, this intrigues me because I don't think anybody disputes that is. I think this is the toughest coaching field. He's also faced. Look at the guys that he's going to go up against four of the seven coaches who are in the AFC playoffs have coached in a Super Bowl. Three have won a Super Bowl. The ones that are left are not even guys you would necessarily immediately point to laughingstock. One is Mike McDaniel, a complete unknown because he's in the first year of his coaching tenure, whatever. One is Sean McDermott, who we all respect as a very good coach. And the other is Brandon Staley, a guy who I have now more questions about after his decision in week 18 to play some of his players that might end up costing him some injuries for this upcoming playoff game. But the fact if I had told you there were three Super Bowl winners, four Super Bowl appears, and then a bevy of coaches behind it that we generally think of as being very analytical and smart. Like last year, Andy had the decisive coaching advantage in the postseason because we didn't know anything about Zach Taylor and we could joke about him a little bit, right? But now because Doug Peterson's now in here and there's a bigger mix and Harbaugh who's won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, Andy has the coaching advantage because he's better than those guys, but isn't the margin a lot slimmer? Yeah, because when we're talking about coaching, I think sometimes we use that as a catch-all when it doesn't, we're not really getting to the root of what we're talking about here, right? Because when we talk about Andy being a great coach, listen, I love Andy Reid. No one, and, I, and Chiefs fans included, have ever claimed that Andy Reid is like a master clock management. No. Nobody's ever claimed that he is one of the best at managing timeouts or fourth down. No. He's not super consistent. And again, 
if those are your knocks against him, it's fine because everything else that comes with it's been pretty damn good because he is one of the most innovative offensive minds. He is a great play caller, even though, you know, in the middle of a game, the Chiefs get two or three straight three and outs. Everybody's saying, what the hell is Andy doing, right? So I guess that's just being an NFL fan. Yeah, sure. There are guys in the AFC who are better than him at making the right call in fourth down. There are guys in the NFL, in the AFC playoffs, who are better than him at clock management, at timeout management. So what would you rather have in the postseason? If you had to choose between those two scenarios, would you rather have the brilliant offensive mastermind genius play caller, or would you rather have the guy who's just always going to make the right decisions late in games? In my opinion, based on his history, the genius play caller. I don't know why that's not what I want, because when you get to the postseason, people know who you are. They do. They got 17 games of tape. They know what you do. There's no secrets here, except for the Chiefs. There are. There are secrets. That's why I think Doug Pe- the being under Andy Reid is why Doug Peterson was able to call the Philly special in the Super Bowl. He understands that when, like, shit's real, you have to kind of just, like, actually make a decision on something that might, on paper, feel bad, right? You're like, am I doing this? Am I throwing the ball to the quarterback in the end zone at a pivotal moment of a Super Bowl game? That feels dangerous. If I had told you, hey, Andy could do that or just let Patrick choose the right guy to throw to you, would be like, mm, I don't think I want Patrick catching the ball. I feel like I'd rather he throw throw the football. But that's what makes like the ring around the rosy play, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, right? The snow globe play. That's what makes it work. Andy Reid called the Rose Bowl parade play. I'd rather have those moments. The problem is, is like, I, like if I were ranking him out, I think it's pretty obvious. If you're ranking out the seven AFC coaches, Staley's the worst. Make an argument that it's not Staley anymore. Zach Taylor got his team to a fucking Super Bowl. I, You know, I can't. Staley's starting his players in week 18 and trying to get them hurt. Like, I can't. Like, there, last year, you could have easily, I would have, I would have laughed at the notion that I was choosing Taylor over Staley. But Staley is the worst head coach remaining in the postseason, right? In the yeah, AFC. Well, yeah. With Zach Taylor, we said this last year that, that Zach Taylor was being carried by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and then he goes to the Super Bowl and it's like okay are we ever going to let this guy off the hook like at what point do we just say okay maybe maybe he's better than we're giving him credit for yeah it's definitely Brandon Staley it's definitely Brandon Staley and that's so funny because of the reason why he was hired because for being like this defensive mastermind and always knowing you know being super aggressive on fourth downs and then this year as the injuries sort of seep in and you say, okay, is he switching up his philosophy or is this just a product of him trying to coach to his team? But there is no, there is no argument to be made after what we saw in week 18. After the Chargers being locked into the five seed, him still trotting out all his starters for three plus quarters. That I usually give coaches the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, maybe there's something going on that we don't know about. Maybe you know, they're privy to information yeah. that we don't get. I have yet to find someone trying to defend Brandon Staley's decision to play the starters in week 18. So that alone makes this a very easy question. And that's it. Like it's because of the rest of it again. Well, we got to put Staley behind the four Super Bowl appearing head coaches, three of which have a, have a win Mm -hmm. in the game. So then I'm left with Sean McDermott. I'm not putting Staley above him. Sean McDermott's been his success period is longer than Staley. Staley just got to the postseason for the first time this year. He hasn't even won a game yet in the postseason. I'll wait. This is part of the reason. I think Jacksonville's winning the game this weekend. I know we're going to talk about these games on Friday. I think Jacksonville's winning. I 
They are, the Chargers are the more talented team, but not by a wide enough margin. And I think the advantage that Doug Peterson has, having gone through this with an underdog type team, that ain't going to scare him away. And as much as like, you know, Justin Herbert's been great. I, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence might have that. um, He seems like he's got a little bit of that Burrow, like I'm just going to win mentality. He hasn't shown fully that Burrow will win under any circumstance. It doesn't matter. He's unflappable. That's ridiculous. But, but I think that Trevor Lawrence shows some of that. I feel like Jacksonville's got an advantage because of that. And it's just like, I can't, like, this is going to be a really tough field. You're not going to just be able to outcoach everybody. You are going to have to outplay some of these teams just out of reality. You can't, you can't just go in thinking you have that advantage. 